It's probably about nine years ago, my wife and I were driving home from uh, a midweek study that we were doing uh, here, and um, we decided to not cook, so we picked up McDonald's on the way home, because that's always a good choice, and uh, this is before Super Size Me came out, so this is when we thought it was okay, and uh, so I get the two cheeseburger meal, and um, she got whatever it is that she got, and then we're driving home, and I wanted to really like dig into it um, before we got home, so I grabbed one of the cheeseburgers, and I knew it was a cheeseburger because it had the... You know, it's that yellowish wrapper. And uh, so I, I open it up, and then I turn to my wife, and I say, hey, how is it? And she says, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, you, you took a bite out of it. I want to know if they're good. And, uh, and she goes, I didn't take a bite out of anything. And I said, you say what? And, uh, and so I, upon further investigation, it turns out it wasn't even a cheeseburger at all. It was actually a filet of fish sandwich under the guise of a cheeseburger wrapper, but this filet fish sandwich had cheese and bacon on top of it. Now, let me just say a word about that if I could. If you're getting a filet fish sandwich with cheese and bacon, you got to get, like, you need to go see a doctor because you got to get your head checked out. Well, that's nasty. Even though I do have a belief that bacon makes everything better, this may be one of the exceptions. But anyway, so I go back, I pull over, and I'm like, some, they gave me a burger that belonged to somebody else. That's when the screaming began. But anyway, so I, I grab it and I go over to the, um, I go back to the McDonald's and it's the McDonald's right here on, on, uh, on Miami Lakes Drive. And I like to tell that to people when I, whenever I tell the story because I don't really like how that story ended. But, so I, I go there and what happens is, is that I walk in and I tell the, the manager what happened. And he goes, oh yeah, I know what happened. And I'm thinking, like, now you're going to tell me what happened? Like, okay. And he goes, well, there's a guy here that's doing some work on one of the refrigerators, and that's what he wanted to eat. And uh, so he must have put it down. And, and I'm thinking, like, you're actually telling me this? Like, what are you going to Did the guy behind me get a wrench? You know, like, oh, you know, anyway. So he, decided, he tells me that it was, it was his sandwich. And I'm like, well, you might want to give it back to him. I didn't take a second bite, so you can give it back to him if you want. So they give me, and I'm thinking they're going to give me, like, Listen, free French fries for life. Come by here anytime you want a happy meal or something. That's what I think is going to happen. They just give me the cheeseburger. Like, they didn't even, they're like, all right, here you go. Not even like, sorry about that. You know, please don't call the food inspector on us. None, none of that. Just here's what it is. And, and this is the thing that's so, so weird. So, you know, I'm doing the nice thing. I return the fish fillet to its proper owner. And, uh, and I'm, you know, anyway, I didn't get much out of it, which I thought I would. But here's the thing that, that um, is important about the story. And that is that you can never judge a sandwich by its cover. Um, because just because it says something on the wrapper doesn't mean that it's really the case. And the same thing is true with people. Um, because uh, now, this is the thing that's important. Um, a lot of times, you and I get labeled as things. Um, and that becomes what people believe that we are. And even worse than people believing that that's what we are, we believe that about ourselves. And uh, sometimes it doesn't matter you know, who said it. Or, or how it worked out, but somebody said something to us, and we began to believe that about ourselves, and that's what we began to think as to who we are. And, it, you know, and, and I mean, we, we have a whole, you know, we have young, not so young, and, and all the whole gambit here. And this, it doesn't matter how old you are. Um, it could be that your parents said something to you at, at, at a particular age, and for whatever reason, that hurt you and stuck with you, and you believed that about yourself, that that's the truth about you um, for years now. Even though it isn't true, it's just something that somebody said. And, uh, and, and, but yet it's something that you believe about yourself. Um, it could be that you had some plans and they didn't go the way that you wanted them to go. And so because your plans failed, you started to believe that somehow 
that you were a failure because the plans that you had didn't turn out the way that you wanted them to. And, and by the way, there's a lot of ways to label people who try things and don't work. Failure is only one of them. Uh, courageous is another. Adventurous is another. Entrepreneurial is another. So you aren't um, the thing that failed. Uh, the thing that failed may have failed. Okay, you tried something and it didn't work, but that doesn't mean that that's who you are. In the same way, some things can happen in our relationship with God where, where we'll say, man, I was praying for this to happen and it didn't work out. I mean, what does that say about my relationship with God? Here's what it says. It means that God's will was something else than, than what you prayed for. It doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It doesn't mean something's wrong with your relationship with God. It could just simply mean that God was doing something else because he's God and he gets the prerogative to do whatever it is that he wants to do. But all of these things can cause us to think things about ourselves that aren't true. And the only solution to them is to rethink yourself. You've got to start thinking differently about who you are and what really is true about you. There's a passage in Proverbs, it's not in your notes, but you can just jot it down. It's in Proverbs 23, verse 7, that says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Think about that. As a man thinks in his heart, as a man thinks about himself, so he is. What you think about yourself is ultimately what you will become. And rethinking yourself boils down to understanding your life the way that God sees you. Because the way God sees you is the only perspective that's really true. And that's why the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians writes about what's true about you. Because as we move into chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Ephesians, let me just tell you what's in store for us. We're going to talk about, um, he's going to talk to us about how to walk in a way that that honors God and how to be wise. He's going to talk to us about how to be um, a godly husband and a godly wife, a godly parent, how how to be a a godly employer or employee, and uh, how to see life the really the real way that we need to see life and here's the thing and he starts and he says but we can't talk about any of that until we see ourselves the way that god really sees us and so that's where we're going to begin is that we need to understand the truth about who we are according to god and that's where we're going to begin in ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 17 we're going to look at the three things that we're going to learn about rethinking yourself but here's where we begin in verse 17 he says this i say therefore and testify in the lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the thing that I want you to know. Once again, three things about rethinking yourself. Here's number one. And that is, it's this, that you aren't who you used to be. You aren't who you used to be. It doesn't matter who people say you were in the past. If you've come to know Jesus, you're changing. You're growing. You're developing. You're maturing. You aren't that person in the past. You're growing to to become someone else. You see, um, I get to ask this. I've asked the other two services. Some of you in the back won't be able to see this, but um, I don't know if you've ever heard of these. How many of you are familiar with Razzles? Can I ask you that? Look at that. Several of you. Uh, how many of you like razzles? Can I ask that? All right. Six of you. All right. Um, if it's any consolation to you, I think between three services, I think it's a total of 18 people. There's about six people per service that had, you know, many more said they tried razzles. About six in each service said, yeah, I think I like them. Um, well, I'll tell you this. I grew up loving razzles. Razzles are impossible to find, by the way. 
here in Florida. I actually was in Boston for most of the week this week, and um, I was able to buy some packages of Razzles. Because when I was a kid, I bought Razzles by the box. I mean, I love Razzles. And I'll tell you why. It's because Razzles are a great deal. For the, Razzle, the motto of Razzles is first it's candy, then it's gum. So imagine, you get one of these Razzles, you pop them in your mouth, and it's like a nice candy. And then, after a while, you're like, man, I wish this nice candy could turn into a gum. Well, you're in luck. Because it does, and it's awesome. And so I started, I, I grew up loving Razzles, and so uh, my dad and I happened to be at a CVS uh, in, in, in Boston this week. Uh, him and I flew there together. And, um, we, uh, and I saw some Razzles, and I bought a couple packages of Razzles, and I got back to, to my sister's where I was staying, uh, my older sister's house, and, uh, and I ripped open the package of Razzles, and I popped two in my mouth, and they were disgusting. And I thought, man, I must have some defective ones, threw those out, grabbed two more Razzles, popped them in, and uh, they were disgusting. The candy was bland, and then when it turned in, I, the second time I hung in there until they turned into gum, they were so hard. My, I, feel, I think I have a couple of teeth that began to shatter, and my jaw was killing me after chewing like four times. And I'm like, this is horrible. I'm like, I don't know what happened. And here's the thing. By the way, now that I've sufficiently destroyed the Razzles brand, if anyone would like this package of Razzles, you're more than welcome to have them. I, I'm not going to be able to throw that. I can throw that far. There you go. Don't poke anybody's eye out. All right. Good job. Careful. There you go. Make friends. Um, so, so what happens is this, is right. If you would have asked me before I tried the Razzles, hey, do you like Razzles? I would have asked if I could get a Razzles t-shirt. I was a huge fan of Razzles. And then I tried them and I hated them. And this is the thing that happens, is that sometimes we believe things about ourselves, but it's not current. It's things that happened in the past. And sometimes, while past experience can usually be good, sometimes things about our past, we can bring them into the present that aren't really true. Because I was believing something about me that was no longer a reality. And that's the thing that we tend to do sometimes. Something that happened in our past sometimes becomes part of what we believe about ourselves. That's why Paul writes and he says, he says therefore, don't walk like the Gentiles. Gentiles not just being people who uh, aren't Jewish, but people who don't know God. He says, because their minds and their understanding is darkened. Notice that he's not talking about their actions. He's talking about the way that they think. In fact, check out what he says. He says, um, the futility of their minds, the under, their understanding is, darkness, uh, uh, is darkened, the ignorance that is in them, and then the blindness of their heart, or literally that their hearts are calloused to the working of, of God's spirit uh, in them. And, so, and here's the thing, because it, it starts in your mind. That's why the whole, um, the, the thing that we've been talking about in Rethink is change your thinking, change your life. That when you start thinking differently, it, tra- it, it transforms into, I start thinking differently, it translates into walking and doing things differently, and then I start seeing my life taking a different turn. The Apostle Paul would say it a different way, but have the same intention in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says this, there, I ur- Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, and this is the part you may want to underline, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see... Paul writes this section 
And he starts in verse 17 with the word therefore. And I talked about a couple weeks ago. We said when you see a therefore, find out what it's there for. And I uh, say, well, I'm glad I got out of bed for that. Um, now, here, here's what it is, though. He's tying this section to the last paragraph that, that he wrote. And here's what we remember. If you remember on our last study, if you were here, if you're not here, here's the message in 10 seconds. Um, it was about how there are gifts that are given to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. And the reason that they're a gift to the church is because they cause you and me to grow up to maturity in Christ. Now, based on the fact that we're growing in Christ and going to maturity, he says, therefore, don't walk in a way that's in keeping to your old way of life. Instead, you've been given a new way of thinking. You've been given a new spirit, a new heart, a a renewed relationship with God. Now, let's walk in that way. And let's pursue maturity. But if we're going to pursue maturity, we've got to stop thinking like those who don't know God, which is the way that we used to think when we didn't know God. Instead, we aren't that person anymore. That's why in your notes in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. All things have become new. You're not the person that you used to be. And that's the point that he makes in the very beginning. You're going to rethink yourself. Here's the thing you've got to understand. You are not who you used to be. The second is somewhat like it. Here's what he says in verse 20. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt, according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to tell you. Number one is you're not who you used to be. Number two is you are not controlled by your past. You're not controlled by your past. Let me explain it this way. Um... Your past is part of who you are, but it isn't who you are. Um, I, I have changed a lot over the last, you know, 17 years, 18 years or so. Um, and uh, lots of things have changed. Uh, in physical ways, I've changed. That's me with my old hairstyle, uh, mohawk that I used to have. Uh, I am wearing a Darth Vader shirt, so apparently some things don't change. Um, but, you know, like I used to have a mohawk, now I have the reverse, and that's kind of weird. Uh, Wish that wasn't a reality in my life, but it is. Here's another one. This is my former career. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, me and seven or eight of my closest friends in that show. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but that was, that's what I used to do uh, before going into ministry. And then, you know, my style has changed. Here's another picture. Uh, this is when Carrie and I first started dating. Uh, I was really going for that plaid look, you know, because that was really in style back then. Um, and you can see why Carrie dated me, because I was hot. And uh, <laughs> so that's, that's that. So we'll, we, can, we can take that out now because um, then no one will pay attention. Um, but here's the thing is that sometimes we say, man, we're getting older. But I, here's what I like to think of it is we're getting newer. And you say, what do you mean by that? You see, when we think chronologically, we think, well, I started out young and then you get old. But really, in, in a, um, when we talk about like spiritual maturity, you start old and you get new. You say, well, what do you mean by that? The Bible teaches us that before we became Christians and started following Jesus, all we had was an old nature. And the old nature is one that just wanted to do the desires of our flesh. And that's when we got involved in all kinds of sinful behavior and things that God didn't want us to do. And then we came to know Jesus and the Spirit of God came and to reside within us and we got a new nature. 
what the Bible calls the new man. And it, it, it referred to the new man versus the old man. When the Bible talks about the old man, not talking about your dad. Okay, it's talking about um, your old, the old man is the old nature. The new man is the new nature, the new person that God is creating uh, within you and within me. And so the key is, uh, the, the key is this, is that uh, that's why he talks about this old man, new man. He talks about you've got to put off the old man and put on the new man. Because there is something that happens in you and I, for whatever reason, in that when, when we put some type of clothes on, we act a certain way. And you put on a different type of clothes and you act a different way. And I don't know why that is, but we know that, it, that it's true. Um, I was getting ready for church last Sunday, and I put on my jacket. This, this is a different jacket, but like this one. And before I left, my daughter says, Poppy, is it cold outside? And I said, no, Mia, it's August 1st. It's boiling outside. I said, no, it's actually very hot outside. And she says, then why are you wearing a jacket? And I said, well... And before I answer, she says, but aren't you hot wearing a jacket? And I said, I'm, I'm very hot. I'm, I'm in my house and I'm sweating. And she goes, so why are you wearing a jacket? And I, and I, I said, Mia, I don't know. I don't know why I'm wearing a jacket. I don't know why it's the third service. It's almost 1 o'clock in the afternoon and I'm still wearing a jacket. I have no idea. You know, I, I think I, makes, I feel more pastoral when I wear clothes, more clothes than I need to, you know. Maybe I need to wear a big hat and I'll feel like the Pope or something. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and it, you know, but it's amazing like what, how what you wear um, changes you. It even changes the perception that people have of you. You ever have this happen? Like you're on your way to a wedding and you've got to stop and get gas. And uh, I think everybody has this experience. And then you get out of the car and you're wearing a tux and your wife is wearing a nice dress. And you get out of the car to pump gas and people are looking at you weird like, what's that guy doing? You don't pump gas in a tux. And they're, they're just looking at you like you're like this bizarre human being. Like, but the car needs gas. What am I going to do? You know, is, is, there's no like you know, reserve just for weddings. I mean, you got, you got to stop no matter what. And so, but people look at you like, that ain't gas gear. You know, you know I don't know what gas gear is. Maybe like overalls or something, I guess. You know, that's what you wear to get gas. But, but here's the thing. But see, you're not dressing for the gas station, you're dressing for the wedding. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. What he's saying is, is that, listen, you had this old nature, that all it cared about was what, what your flesh wanted. But then you came to know Christ, and, and God gave you a new nature. And now you're not just thinking about what your flesh wants, you're thinking about what your spirit wants, you're thinking about what God wants, and that's what changes things. Because your new nature, the new man, desires righteousness and holiness. In, in, in your life. And you desire that. And that's why sometimes there's a struggle. You know, when, before you were a Christian, sometimes we get upset at ourselves because we say, man, I just, I struggle with sin. Listen, everybody struggles with sin. You know, before you were a Christian, you didn't struggle with sin. You just sinned. Right? The fact that you're even struggling says that you're growing and that God is changing your life. But what will happen is, is that you struggle and you go, man, I'm such a loser. Well, Maybe it's something different. Maybe it's, um, it's what C.S. Lewis said in, in his book, Mere Christianity. It, it's the very fact that, like, that he says only Christians can even say that they've experienced temptation because before you became a Christian, you were never tempted. You just did it. But now that you've become a Christian is that you can actually experience temptation because you know what it is that God actually wants you to do and you even have a real choice as to whether you're going to do it or not. 
And you say, well, how then do you who, who actually like in the, in the wrestle? Because look, look at this verse that I put in your notes in Galatians five. He says, I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lust lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So the question is, which one wins? And let me give you just very practically. Here's the one that wins. The one that you feed. You feed the old nature with your old lusts and old desires. And I can promise you that the old man, the old nature is going to win. Why? Because the new nature is not going to be strong enough to withstand temptation. But instead, here's what you do. You feed the new man. You feed the new man the word of God and the things that God is seeking for you to do and the the things that God wants to bring into your life. And here's what you're going to find. Spiritual strength to overcome temptation. And that's why you aren't controlled by your past because you have the opportunity to now become a new person because that's what God is doing in your life. He's transforming you. He's given you a new nature. You aren't that person. If you've come to know Jesus now, you're able to, to move into the, the place where instead you can feed the Spirit and experience victory, freedom from sin, and victory in your life with things that you used to struggle with. So here's where he's, now he's going to give us some examples. Uh, um, so here's what he goes on in verse 25. He says, Therefore, put, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may give to him who has a need. And let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, And let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, what I've told you is this. Here's how you rethink yourself. Um, You realize that you're not who you used to be. Then you realize that you aren't controlled by your past. And then here's the other thing you have to realize is that you're part of Christ's body. You're part of Christ's body. That's why you have that new nature. That's why you have the Spirit of God living in you. And now what happens? Now the thing that happens is, is that you have a choice. Because here's the deal. Everything, one of the things that I, 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 if you've been around here for a while, one of the things that I say once in a while, when we talk about change and changing our life, is that it's not just change. That change is an exchange. You are exchanging one thing for something else. So that's why you don't just add something to your life. You're usually adding something and subtracting something else for that to become um, part of of who you are. And Paul in these verses gives us four illustrations of how that works. This is what your old nature did. This is what the old man did. This is what the new man does. This This is what the old nature did. This is what the new nature did. This is what the old man did. This is what the new man does. Here's the first one. Here's the trade. Number one, you trade lies for truth. You trade lies for truth. And that, that's why, because when you decide to just um, hang on to the old life and live that old life, listen, you embrace lies rather than truth. In Romans 1, it says this in your notes, that they exchanged the truth of God for what? A lie. And worship created things rather than the Creator who was blessed forever. And so Paul says, listen, you've got to stop lying because we're part of the same body. And that's why 
Um, remember, we talked about that we're part of the body of Christ and our, and our thing is we're trying to grow together to maturity. And you can't grow together to maturity if we're lying to each other. And the point is, is that when you lie to yourself, you're the one who loses. When we lie to each other, all of us lose. And so that's the thing. Is Paul's saying, listen, do yourself a favor and tell yourself the truth and tell the truth to others. Here's the second one that's, that's in your notes. You trade lies for truth. Um, the other thing that you do is you trade lack of control for self-control. You trade lack of control for self-control. Now let me explain it this way. Anger gets such a bad rap sometimes. But anger is actually not a sin. Um, now, anger is simply an emotion, which can either lead to sin or lead to obedience to God. But anger in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. it. The issue is, what are you getting angry about? And then what are you doing about it? And see, because if we got mad at social injustices or, uh, you know, spiritual darkness um, or, you know, the fact that families are falling apart or things like that, no one would be mad at us for being upset at those things, those are things that should make us angry. When we hear about abuse, when we hear about, um, you know, things like that, they should make us angry. But the question is, I mean, but if we're really honest, those usually aren't the things that make us angry. The things that usually make us angry are things like we're getting inconvenienced, you know, because there's traffic. There are things that, you know, there's usually selfishness, us not getting our way. Those are the things that tend to, to anger us. Um, and, and yet here's the thing. The key is, if you're going to be angry, be angry and don't sin. That is, allow the anger, to, instead of causing you to just say things you don't mean, um, or, or, or say things that are hurtful, instead, why don't you allow that anger to actually change you? Why don't you allow that anger to actually work in your life in such a way that it causes you to do something? In the Gospel of John, chapter 2, Jesus walks into the temple and he sees something that infuriates him. He gets angry. He sees God's people not being allowed to worship God because there's a whole scam being run in the temple. And the Bible says that Jesus makes a whip. He starts whipping people and he kicks them out of the temple and he gets God's people to come back in and be able to worship. Well, what happens? Anger led him to do something which now led to the right thing taking place. So if you're mad, I mean, you say, I'm angry about the state of my marriage. That's good. Now, don't let that anger cause you to sin. Let that anger cause you to do something right. Let that cause you to get help. Let it cause you to confront reality and say, we are in trouble and we need someone uh, to come, to come and, and, and help us. If you're upset, I talk to people who say, I'm angry over the state of my career. I feel like I should be further along than I am now. Good. Be angry. That's good. Because, but don't just let that angry, anger say, oh, I'm just, let's forget it. It's never, you know... You're going to take your ball and go home. That's, that's not the reason to get angry. The reason to get angry is to say I'm frustrated as to where I am, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn some new skills, and in five years I'm not going to be where I am today. Because when I think about where it was five years from now to now, I'm frustrated. And I'm not going to allow that to be the same thing that happens in the next five years. I talk to people who are upset about where they are in their relationship with God, and they say, you know, I've been a Christian for five years, eight years now. I feel like I should be further along than I am. That's good. But don't let that anger turn into anger against God or anger against somebody else or anger against church or whatever. Let that anger turn into say, now, what do I need to do to take a step towards God that allows me now to grow? Because that's the trade. You allow anger to just control you, that's the old nature. You allow anger to just cause you to say things you don't mean, that's the old nature. But instead, the new man, he takes anger 
the new nature, it, it, it takes anger and it says, I'm going to take this anger, this thing that I'm upset about, and I'm going to use it to change it. Here's the third thing that he says in verses 28 and 29. He says this, he says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give to him who has a need. And it says, you trade stealing for helping. You trade stealing for helping. In many ways, it's you trade selfishness for selflessness. You trade greed for generosity. Um, I don't know if you've ever stolen anything. I- I'm not going to ask because I think it's weird if I say, has anybody stolen anything? And people start raising their hand. And then, the, you know, like the person next to you raises their hand. And, you know, women start holding their purse a little tighter. Like, well, I don't know. That could have been like this week, you know, that he did that. And... Um, but I got caught stealing. I've only done it one time, and I got caught, and I'm very thankful I got caught. Uh, it was about a week ago. No. Um, it was, uh, I, I was 13. I was 13, and I, I got caught stealing in a department store. And what did I get caught stealing is the question. Uh, I got caught stealing a striper tape. Uh, now, those of you that, that don't know, striper is a Christian band. They're a Christian metal band. And uh, I really liked them, and I just didn't have any money to buy their album, so I thought that I should steal it. Now, the thing that I always think about is, is that I wonder if I would have stolen the tape and then listened to their music, which I wasn't a Christian at the time, obviously. Um, but I, I, I wonder if I listened to the music, if I would have repented and brought the tape back. I, I don't know. These are the things that I think about at night. Um, but anyway, so um, what's funny is, is that, so I get caught stealing, but here's the funny thing is, I'm fly, I was in Boston for most of the week. And um, so I fly home, I'm flying home yesterday uh, morning. And uh, uh, there's a guy sitting across the aisle from me. And I'm like, this guy looks so familiar. And, um, but, you know, you're not like, you know, you ever do that? You're like staring at somebody, but you don't want to stare at them. And so, that, like, you're looking at them, and then they look over at you, and you're like, what's going on out the window there? You know, I don't know if you ever do that. I, I do things like that. And uh, so, I'm, you know, I'm doing that, and then I'm just thinking about who this guy is. And then I fell asleep for an hour and a half on the plane, and then I woke back up, and then I'm like, who is this guy? And then I, I, re- I realized who it was. And I'm like, this is him. And then I said, but I, I got to verify. Because the last thing I want to do is like tap him on the shoulder and ask, hey, are you so-and-so? And he'd be like, no. And then, you know, that's, that's weird. Like, oh, okay. Well, then I guess I have no interest in speaking with you if you're not the person I thought. You know what I mean? Because that's just awkward. Like, no, I'm not that person, but I'm actually still a very nice guy. You know, I just, but I wouldn't be all that interested. So, you see, it just makes it weird. So, anyway, so I had to figure out if it was him. Well, then he... Um, the guy takes out all some of his papers and he opens up his passport. And so I look at his passport and I see his name. And I'm able to do this in a very stealthy way because I've seen a lot of spy movies. So I take a lot of the, the, the training that I've gotten in watching a lot of television. And, I, and I'm able to see that it is, that it was him. And so I, I, I ask him his name. I said, are you Michael Sweet? And he said, yes. Now, Michael Sweet is the singer of Striper. And uh, so I was able to talk to him. Anyway, super nice guy. I did not tell him the story about stealing the tape, though. I, we talked about a lot of different things in our plane ride, but I didn't tell him about that because you can imagine, like, he's got all his gear out, and he's like, I'm taking all this back. You tried to steal from me once. You know, this ain't going to happen again. And, um, but so anyway, now you say, what does that have to do with this? Absolutely nothing. I just want to tell you that I met Michael Sweet from Striper. Uh, I, th- I think there's like... Six people in the world that think that's actually a pretty cool thing. Um, but, but here's the thing. is that I, I do want you to think about stealing for a minute. That you're just taking something from somebody else. Like, you don't care what their need is for the, the item. You're just taking it from them because you want it. And here's the thing that happens is that 
that that's what you know, that's what your your old nature wants to do that. But then he says this. Um, he says, but now let the person who steals. That's what he writes in verse 28. Let the person who steals steal no more. But remember, it's, it doesn't just end there because we, we said that change is an exchange. You're exchanging one thing for something else. So he says, I want you to trade selflessness and pick uh, selfishness and pick up selflessness. And he says, so here's the deal. You who stole, don't steal any longer. But instead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do something good with your hands so you have something to give a person who has a need. Now that, to me, is, is amazing. And that's the thing that happens because, listen, the person who stole that now comes to know Jesus, they're not a thief anymore. Now they have this opportunity to change. They have this opportunity. They have a new nature. The person that they used to be isn't there anymore. The person that they used to be is greedy. Now this new person is generous. The old person is selfish, but the new person is selfless. And that's the thing that's important. Now let me tell you why this is so important about rethinking yourself. Um, I have a lot of respect for um, the recovery movement and those that, that, are, that are in recovery. Um, because there, there, there's so many people that they're helping. But I, I will say this. There is something that, that, that does concern me, um, and, and that's this. Uh, part of the recovery movement, and I think all of us would, have to, would agree that it, it has to happen this way. If, if you're someone who has, um, you know, you've been involved in drugs or alcohol or, or anything that you've been addicted to, you've got to come to a place where you recognize that I'm addicted to this. That's the only way that you've got to confront reality if you're going to actually change things to where it is that they used to be. But here's where I think the challenge is. You can't stay there. You can't actually still say after however many years, I'm still an addict. I'm still a drug addict. I'm still an alcoholic. I'm still all these things. Because here's the thing, that's, 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 that's part of who you were. You come to know Jesus, the, a new nature comes in, and he begins to, he sets you free from that. And then it's not, it's not that that's who I am. That's part of your past, and that's part of your story. That's part of how you share with people how Jesus has changed your life. And so you don't just forget that, you remember that, that that's who I used to be. But at the same time, it doesn't say, let him who is a thief steal no more, and remember, you're still a thief, but now you're just a generous thief. That's not what he says. Let him who steals steal no more, that he may work with his hands doing good, that he may have something to give to a person who has a need. Listen, if you've, stru- if you've, if you've gone through this, listen, you're not who you used to be. When whoever you used to be, whatever you were addicted to before you came to know Jesus, that's not who you are now once you've become, once you've become a Christian, once now the new man, the Spirit of God, has come to indwell you. That's not the term that the Bible gives to a person who, who once was addicted to something and now Jesus has set him free. You're not still an addict. Here's what the Bible calls you. It calls you an overcomer. The Bible calls you a conqueror. In fact, the Bible calls you this more than a conqueror because of him who loved you. It says it this way in Romans chapter 8. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we face death all day long and we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that either, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, there's power in those words. And it's, it's the power that's able to set someone free that says, I am not who I used to be. I'm not that person anymore. It might be part of my story, but it's not who I am. 
Because if we're going to create a better future for ourselves, we've got to rethink who we are. And we've got to shed some labels that have been stuck to us that aren't who we are. And we've got to think of ourselves the way God sees us. And then let me give you the last one. The last one is you trade bitterness for forgiveness. And that's what he says in verse 31. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, evil speaking, anger be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. If you've been around here for a while, you've heard me talk about this when we talk about unforgiveness and bitterness. And that is that unforgiveness is a prison. It's a prison that you lock yourself in, even though you're thinking that you're locking the other person in. And the idea is simply this, is that when, when you don't forgive, that unforgiveness makes you its slave. Because you and I are the ones who are in prison when we don't forgive. That's why when you don't forgive, you're thinking about it all the time. You're mad about it all the time. And there's this low level of rage that you have that's just under the surface. That if anybody pushes the button or touches that spot in any way, you're just like a powder keg ready to explode. My friends, that's no way to live. That's no way to live. That's, that's the old way. That's not, that's not what the new man does. That's not what the new nature does. The new nature says this. I'm putting away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and malice and evil speaking. And here's what I'm going to pick up. Forgiveness. I was hard-hearted, but now I'm picking up being tender-hearted. I was unforgiving, but now I'm picking up being forgiving. You know why? Because he says it right at the end. He says that we're able to forgive one another even as God in Christ forgave you. We're able to be people who forgive because we are people who have firsthand experienced forgiveness. Because you and I were created in the image of God. And it is only natural for people who are created in the image of God to seek to mirror the one that we were, whose image we were created in. And so because God is a God who is forgiving, then those of us who have experienced God's forgiveness need to be people who are forgiving as well. Because, my friends, what you think about yourself matters. It matters. Because you cannot build um, a, a future that's completely built in, in, your, in your past. Now, look, what does God think about you? Let me tell you what God thinks about you. I want you to write this reference down. Um, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's workmanship. Another translation says we are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for the good works that he prepared beforehand for us to do. That word workmanship or masterpiece is the Greek word poema, where we get our English word poem. In fact, literally it could be translated for you are God's work of art. That's why you can tell your, turn to your husband or your wife and you can say, according to the Bible, you are a piece of work. Uh, you can say that to them, and, and the same would be true with you, um, is that we are a piece of work. We're, we're, something, we're, we're people that God is, is, is changing and, and molding and shaping. And, and just like a masterpiece that, that someone would work on who's adding color and depth and dimension, that's what God's doing in your life and in mine, adding character and virtue and perseverance and courage and wisdom and holiness adding all of those things into our lives to turn us, to create us into the masterpiece that He envisions for you and for me. Because we're created in His image. And, it is, and the, goal, our, the goal for our lives is to look like the God who created us. Um, there's a story that's told about 
um, David, which is one of the greatest uh, works of Michelangelo. Uh, you think we have a picture of David here? And um, the thing that's amazing about the, the David um, statue is that the slab of marble that, that was given, um, it was actually commissioned to two different artists, two different sculptors, to create something out of it. And um, both of them turned it down. Uh, one of them actually being Leonardo da Vinci, uh, who turned it down because he said the slab was too thin and it was too, there was too many imperfections and he couldn't do anything with it. And so years later, he gave it, uh, it was given to, uh, to Michelangelo to take this slab of marble and do some, something with it. And, um, and he started working on it and he worked feverishly on it. Well, the story is told that one day there's this boy who's walking by and the boy says to Michelangelo, why he's hitting this slab of marble so hard. And uh, the master sculptor's response was, because there's an angel inside of this rock, and I'm working to set him free. And here's the, the thing that's important. You can either see yourself as a slab of rock that, nobody can, that no one could do anything with, or you could see yourself the way that God sees you, as a masterpiece in progress. That no, you're not there. No, you're not perfect. No, you haven't been glorified yet because you're not in heaven. But here's the thing is that God is working on you. And God is changing you and he's molding you and he's shaping you and he's sanding off the rough edges and he's turning you into the person that he wants you to become. Because that's how God sees you. As a work of art. He sees you as someone that he's molding and shaping into a masterpiece. And see, the question is, God, God is the one who does the transforming. You don't transform your life. I don't transform my life. God is the one who transforms lives. You say, well, then what can, what can I do? The question is, are you going to allow God to do it? Because you can resist God. You can slow down the work. You can, you can cling on to that old nature and that old life where God is not able to do all that he wants to do in your life. Or you can simply be willing and say, God, I want you to change me. God, I want you to mold me and shape me into the person that you want me to become. And simply begin to take steps in his direction. Where he leads you to go, then you go there. What he wants you to do, you begin to do it. And as you take those steps of obedience, here's what you're going to find. That in each of those steps, a little bit of the excess goes away. And a little more of the masterpiece is seen. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for the fact that you see us not as something you you can't do anything with but instead as a masterpiece in the making god not for the sake of pride but for the sake of us understanding how great your grace is how amazing your power is and how deep your love is we thank you for that in jesus name amen